So the big question is this, how are real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base? How do we grow a real estate business conservatively to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race, and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. This is the Real Estate Underground podcast show number 49. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. This is Ed Matthews with the Real Estate Underground podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today is a rather unique podcast because, yes, the gentleman that we've coerced into joining us today is a burgeoning on the cusp of being a real estate investor, but he's also a guy that has worked for many, many, many years, probably a decade plus, helping non-techie and even the semi-geeky people like me with their digital marketing, as well as uh, pay-per-click and advertising. So Dan Barrett from AdWords Nerds, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. And it's good to see you, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. I've been looking forward to this one. I think I said this when you were on yeah. my show, but I do not get to talk to people who are in Connecticut very often. I'm right. Connecticut, but born and bred. So super pumped to be here. Thank you. Yeah, good. So you and I have gotten to know each other, but for those of us out in the audience who don't know who you are and what you do, why don't you tell us all about AdWords Nerds and who you are? Sure. So AdWords Nerds, like I said, we've been around for about 10 years now, sort of a high-tech online marketing company. We only work with real estate investors, right? Even within real estate investors, we are pretty much 100% focused on motivated seller leads. So I would say like, if there's a way for you to get motivated seller leads online, that's typically something that we're going to be able to do or help you with, right? So companies called AdWords Nerds, when we started, it was called Google AdWords. And that's been what we're known most for. That's the thing that I'm put out the most content about is the thing that I personally am the best at. So it tends to be a reflection of my personality a little bit, but we also do search engine optimization, Google ads, Microsoft ads, also known as Bing ads, YouTube ads, all that fun stuff. So I would say if there's a way to get a motivated seller lead online, we can help you do that. And we've been doing that for a long time now. It's been Really, really fascinating, really interesting industry to be a part of. And uh, yeah, really fun. Yeah, you described me as being on the cusp of investing because we were talking before and I said, I, it's actually my goal next year to actually invest myself for the first time, even though I've been working with only real estate investors forever and can kind of talk the lingo and understand the industry. I've never actually done it. So that's one of my big goals for 2023. Your story reminds me of, and I, I'm trying, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name, but back in the 1800s when there was gold discovered in them, their hills in the San Francisco area, the gentleman who sold, uh, you know, it's interesting. Everybody went digging for gold, right? Mm -hmm. And the person who was the first documented millionaire was actually the person who sold them the shovels and the sifting <laughs> equipment, right? Yeah. So you are the shovel purveyor of our, at least the top of our lead funnel, right? Right. Yeah. Probably a little less wealthy than the shovel guy. But yeah, I mean, it's not over. It's fascinating, right? Because uh, my whole story of getting into real estate investing was I, I like, I didn't have any background in real estate at all when I first started. What I had was a background in online marketing. Like I'd been building websites and teaching myself SEO and sort of ads and mostly to do my own projects. And so when I was, I was training to be a teacher originally, I was going to be a history teacher, a master's degree in education. 
was being a student teacher and all this stuff. I started freelancing just to make extra money and very quickly was making more money freelancing than I was as a teacher and just said, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. And my whole thing has always been, I don't have to be the best in the world at everything, but I want to be the best in the world at something. And I knew that if I, you know, look, I'm, I think I'm fairly self-aware. Like I'm a smart guy, but I'm not a genius. I'm not the top, top, top level of, you know, I'm not Elon Musk, right? But what I am good at is breaking down relatively complex problems and coming up with solutions for them. So I just wanted to focus in on something that was relatively narrow and really, really good at it. And it was sort of a random chance that it ended up being real estate investing. I, I had a clients that were investors that sort of got me interested in the industry, got really good results early on. And so, you know, that's what got me into investing, right? It wasn't that I had a lot of real estate background. It was that I wanted to do stuff online. I wanted to do stuff with computers and real estate investors had a really interesting business model that lent itself to online marketing, right? So it's been, it's been fun. And coming from a marketing background myself, the sales and marketing, the one thing you can do to help you earn those 10,000 hours and become that expert, right, is to niche down and to focus on one thing and be exceptional at it. And, you know, thankfully for the folks here in Connecticut and throughout the U.S., you happen to be really damn good at this one thing, right? Or yeah, it's one of the things that it really... It really builds on itself. I'm very unfocused in like every other part of my life. Like my 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 Kindle is a, it's like half Freudian psychotherapy and then half horror novels and you know and this it's like my interests are all over the place, right? right? But when you focus particularly professionally, what I found is that that level of focus kind of compounds over time because now what ends up happening is when someone comes to AdWords nerds and they say, okay, well I want you to help me get motivated seller leads or whatever, I can look back on 10 years of experience and 10 years worth of really granular data on what works and what doesn't. What that's taught me over time is that there are a lot of things that people, you know, sort of truisms that people toss out about online marketing that simply do not apply in any way, shape or form to real estate investing or to motivated sellers. That just these things that people think and expect that kind of sabotage them as they get into it. Well, I can look back and say, look, I know for a fact that that's not true because I've run this experiment 40 times. Yes. That amount of experience just lets us do a better job. And ultimately that's kind of the competitive advantage that we're leaning into, particularly as we head into this era that's very, very data centric, very, very, you know, machine learning, AI, all that fun stuff. Yeah. It really is about who has the data and who has the experience. So it's been very, very, it was a good choice. We'll put it that way to kind yeah. of focus. Obviously, you know, and from a client-based perspective, let's talk asset classes, right? Do your clients tend to fall into the single family, you know, wholesaler flipper world, realtor world, or do you work with guys like me, you know, in the multifamily world or... You know, yeah, we've done pretty much everything, right? We've right. done land, we've done multifamily. We're experimenting now and may move into cell towers, buying cell towers, which is really interesting. So there's a lot of room there, right? But yeah. most of our clientele are going to be wholesalers, flippers, buy and holders, that kind of thing. Largely what drives which asset classes work really well online 
isn't necessarily how effective those campaigns are, right? Because you could, for example, have a campaign that is targeted on, like, let's say, a commercial real estate or something. Sure that produces an incredibly high ROI, right? But what ends up driving how available those campaigns are in terms of like agencies that you work with, it's more to do with the volume that they produce, right? There's just way more retail traffic than there is, for example, multifamily traffic or commercial traffic, right? There's just more people typing in sell my house than there are typing in sell my apartment building. And so if you're an agency, you tend to lean towards the campaigns that are going to generate a significant volume of leads because that's what people will pay for. So that's where most of our clientele kind of land. But, you know, we were talking before the call and you're saying, you know, what's important to you to kind of get across. What I very much care about is promoting the idea of no matter what your business is, no matter what your goals are, online marketing can help you. Now, that may not mean that you need to hire someone like me, right? In fact, I would argue that most businesses do not need to hire someone like me. But every business, whether it's multifamily or commercial or residential or whatever it is, needs to have some form of online footprint. I really believe that, right? And so that could be something as simple as, hey, I'm doing a little bit on my own here and there and sort of building a personal brand in my local community all the way to, yeah, I'm paying an agency and we're on TikTok and Microsoft and Instagram and blah, 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 and we're doing everything, right? right? There's a lot of room in that spectrum to find something that works for you in terms of your time that's available, the amount of effort you want to put into it, the amount of budget, there really is an option for everyone. So while I'm here as an agency and like, yes, I want clients, I want people to come and hire me, like, please do that, right? That's great. Most people do not need me and are not gonna need to pay someone like me. Most people are gonna find something in the middle that allows them to build that digital footprint over time, grow their business over time. And that's wonderful. I mean, to me, that's the best possible thing you could do for your business long-term. Right on. Well, so let's unpack that. So let's say I am a flipper or a wholesaler and I am in Haddam, Connecticut, which is where I live, right? And I'm looking, so back in my own you know, early days, I met this gentleman, Gabe Denunzio, who was a marketing genius. And he taught me all about, one of the things he talk, taught me about was concentric circle marketing. Start small, focus your resources down in a very specific, well-defined market, and then build one-offs from there and grow your business, right? And that was circa 1998. So the internet was still fairly new. And so it was more of a basic marketing premise, you know, a generality, whether it's real world or online. So in terms of someone just starting out, I mean, where would they start? What's a good thing to start with? Yeah, I think it always depends. And I am very big on the idea that there is no one size fits all formula for every investor, right? Yeah. So therefore, there's no channel that you can always say like, this is what is right. There are channels that differ depending on the amount of speed to result, right, that they produce, but also channels that differ based on the amount of labor that's typically required, the amount of costs that was typically required. So I'll give you an example, like Google Ads, which is my baby, right? That's my first channel. It's my first love. Okay, so Google Ads are really, really powerful because they put you in front of someone who has intent, right? Like if someone types in, I want to sell my house into Google, basically nothing about them other than they want to sell a house, 
right? And so it's powerful to get in front of that person at that moment because they're sort of ready to go, or at least you can assume that, right? And so Google ads as a channel tends to be very fast, tends to be very high close rate, by which I would typically say for our clients, we generally look for a close rate of about one out of every 12 leads. So if you get 12 leads that come in, six of them might be whatever, completely off the mark, one of those should theoretically become a deal, wow, right? So return. yeah, it's very high, but it is also a competitive channel because of those reasons, right? Just like I always say, like, look, the best restaurant in town is usually hard to get a seat at, right? It's a very similar idea. Right. That tends to mean that cost per lead can be anywhere, depending on your market, between $150 a lead to $500 a lead, right? It, it really depends. And so you got to put some budget in, et cetera, right? Whereas you can contrast that with search engine optimization, which if you're not familiar, is just anything you're going to do on your website that makes it show up higher in Google when someone types something in. Right. Unlike Google ads, you are not paying whenever someone clicks on your website in Google, right? It's just free. So at that point, your cost per lead is essentially zero, and SEO as a channel is about four times the size of paid traffic in Google in basically any market. So if you've got, let's say, 100 available leads for a given keyword in a given market, let's say via Google ads, you're generally going to have four to 500 of those leads available if you just show up organically in Google, right? So SEO is in incredibly powerful, generates very high quality leads, similar to paid traffic, and it's free. Right. But the flip side of that is that it can also be fairly labor intensive, right? You're writing content and you're trying to get links from other websites, or you're going on podcasts, or you're trying to get on TV or whatever it is you're doing to boost your organic profile. It's a relatively long process and it's relatively labor intensive. Right. Yeah. So it's like which of those channels you go down really ends up depending on a couple different things. Right. It's like one is what is your personal tolerance for risk? Right. If you are zero cash flow in your real estate investing business right now, maybe you don't want to outlay for a big ad campaign right off the bat. That could be the case, right? If you are completely tech phobic and you hate the computer and you hate writing content, SEO is probably not going to be the what? best thing for you, right? right? You could pay someone to do it, obviously. But sure. so I would say, like, there are investors right now that are just nailing it on TikTok. They are doing their business on TikTok. They're taking videos of themselves, walking around homes. They're doing the whole TikTok thing. And then people will reach out to them and be like, oh, you got to do my home next. Right. right? Like that's an incredibly powerful channel putting you in front of millions of people. But I'm not really on TikTok. It's just not my thing. Right. Like TikTok was the first social media channel where I was officially like, I'm too old. I missed it, right? I don't get it. I just don't get it. It's just not for me. So I invest my money and time in the channels that lend themselves to my skill sets and what I like. And I really believe for any investor, that's got to be the case as well. So you kind of decide like, what is the currency you are optimizing for? Are you optimizing for time? Are you optimizing for money? Are you optimizing for your reputation? Whatever it is, there's going to be a channel that matches your needs. Does that make sense? Totally. And just to add to that, the thing is, is that as an entrepreneur, I value speed, right? So investing 150 to $500 in a lead, you know, and let's say I close, I don't know, one in three leads. So I'm spending somewhere between 450 and 1500 bucks for a, for a deal. And that deal, if I'm a flipper, is going to make me 30, 40, 50 grand. Is that worth it? Wow. 
Absolutely. Even if I'm a wholesaler, you know, where I'm going to make five or 10 grand, is it worth 1500 to make five grand or 10 grand? Absolutely. Right. I mean, the return on investments, that's easy math. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing in any business, right? Where it ultimately comes down to what is most important to you, right? Because I'm with you, right? If I'm paying 1500 or, you know, our average cost per deal acquisition on Google ads is going to range between 1500 and 4,000 or 5,000, depending on the market. It's very market dependent, which is yeah, I think sure. another thing that people don't quite understand. Like I always say, like, it's sort of like the stock market, but if there was a different stock market in every single city you went to and they all had different prices, right? That's kind of what it's like. Right. And so very different if you're in Orange County than if you're in Haddam, than if you're in Houston, right. than if you're in wherever. Right. Now I'll take 1500 to $5,000 for a $30,000 return all day, every day. Right? right. But I have a friend Actually, we were just mentioning him before we jumped on the call. I have a friend who is a CPA, has this really successful CPA business. He doesn't want that anymore. He is not trying to grow that business. He's tired of it. He just wants it to maintain. He's got his own clientele. Like what he is optimizing for in his life is personal energy. And what he gets energy out of is working very closely one-on-one, you know, doing sort of entrepreneurial consulting and all this stuff. Right. So it's like, it all comes down to like, what's most important to you. And what I will say is that the other thing that I will often caution people about is that there are a lot of people who will pitch online marketing with this pitch exactly, which is, hey, on average, hey, 2,500 bucks a lead, you're going to get $30,000. You're going to do that every day. And what people do is they do online marketing math and they had their head where they say like, okay, well, if it's $2,500 a lead or a deal and I'm getting 30,000, if I invest 10, that's four deals, that's 120,000. And what I will often caution people about is that one, it often doesn't work in a linear fashion like that. Meaning that while you might be able to do that, there is often a point at which your market kind of levels off or leads become more expensive or cheaper, right? So the math is not linear in the sense that you can just say, okay, well, if it's 2,500 for a $30,000 return, if I just multiply that by four, I also multiply the return by four. It doesn't always work that way. The other thing I would often point out is that averages lie. They really lie. And I think I think it's Nassim Taleb who wrote Anti-Fragile and a bunch of other books that which are fun to read, where he says, like, you should never cross on foot a river that is on average five feet deep, because that means that parts of that river are deeper. So one of the things that people love to say is they love to give you their average deal value or their average lead cost, for example. But what that hides is that there are necessarily leads that were significantly more expensive in that data set that they are averaging together. And if that comes early in the process, meaning, hey, while you're learning and getting efficient, your leads are more expensive. If you don't have the cash flow to cover that, you're going to explode right? It's just the way it is. So what I always caution people to do is look like you don't have to jump in with both feet if you're not ready for it and it doesn't feel safe, right? Because the only way to lose the game is to get knocked out. Right. If you stay in the market and you stay playing, sooner or later, you are going to win. Right. So you want to make sure that you cap your downside and manage your risk in that way, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. The fact is that when you're an early investor, closing deals is hard. Making that connection with the seller, being able to shepherd it through a process, which can get very emotional, especially if you're talking about a single family home where it's the person's home, right? 
And so with all due respect, you may suck at it for the first few times. And then as you do it more and more, you'll suck less. And then eventually you'll get pretty good at it, right? And that's when the business really starts to take off. Meanwhile, you're feeding your leads, whether that's through pay-per-click or organic search or a combination thereof or something else. It takes time. I think that's the bottom line. Are you interested in real estate investing right here in Connecticut? Ever wonder where all those real estate investing pros hang out to network? Did you know the Connecticut Real Estate Investors Association will introduce you to those investors and will help you learn how to find deals, fund those deals, and even teach you how to do it without leaving your current job? Go to ctrea.com, that's C-T-R-E-I-A.com, and click on the events button to register for an upcoming event. Hope to see you soon. Buying investment real estate is both thrilling and sometimes stressful. Without a lending expert by your side, most investors don't stand a chance. That's where CTREA Funding comes in. CTREA Funding was founded by investors to help investors just like you fund their deals. Whether you're buying a single-family rehab, an apartment building, or really any investment property, our team will understand your deal and help you close quickly. Go to CTREIAfunding.com or call us at 860-876-0572. A couple of years ago, we did this really in-depth study. We took all of our past clients and we took all their account data and all their stats. And what we did was we're like, okay, we're going to do a sort of correlation study. We're going to figure out like what correlates with long-term client success. Is it the market? Is it total number of impressions, which is basically how many searches are in your market? Is it their budget? You know, what is it? Was it the build, the keyword match types? Like we just did everything. And we really did not find the correlations that I thought we would find. I, for one, thought we would find a very direct correlation with market size and budget size. And we didn't. There was a little bit there, but not to the extent that we thought there would be. Now, the one correlation that we did find was it was very strongly correlated, which long-term client success was very directly correlated to how many times on average did the investor follow up with the lead? And what we realized was that a lot of investors would have this experience where they would learn from people who do what I do that come on podcasts like this and just say, online leads are amazing. Yeah, everybody, oh, you're typing in someone has fast. They're ready to go. They're ready to go. They have intent, right? So what investors hear when they hear that is, oh, when a lead comes in online, they're basically just going to give me their house for 70 cents on the dollar. And when that doesn't happen, like, for example, when you call someone and they don't pick up, or you send them an email and they don't respond, investors would just say like, well, that's a bad lead. It's a dead lead. And they would leave it. And over time, we realized like that is just pure death to the long-term return on investment of any of these campaigns. And what we found was that our best clients had two things in common. One, they were very quick to contact the lead. So speed to lead is the metric, right? How long between when the lead comes in and when you contact them goes by. And that's measured minutes, not hours or days, right? Yeah. One of my very first sort of big clients, this guy, Joe McCall, who's now a pretty well-known coach in the space, right? When we were working together, I remember he had five minutes speed to lead, right? It was, they were on the phone with that person within five minutes, right? Of them filling out an online form. It was very, very quick. And then the other thing that we realized was that the investors that were doing the best were relentless in their follow-up. 
And I'll give you an example. So another client of mine, it was actually my first ever coaching client, this guy, Nick Perry, who also went on to be a very successful investor, very successful coach, did national virtual wholesaling and all this stuff mm -hmm. and, and used ads as his primary acquisition channel. He would just never stop following up. And so I talked to him, I don't know, it's a couple of weeks ago now, we're recording this in 2022, yep. right? And he's like, oh yeah, I just closed a lead that came in in 2018. Right. And they just never stop following up with that person. Sure. That person's like, I don't know why I filled out the form the first time, but I'm ready to go now. Right. Right. And that's way more common than you think it is. So those two things of really understanding, like, yes, it's about your follow-up. It's about how you do on the phone. Yes. Lead quality matters. Yes. The campaign matters. Yes. The marketing matters. But if you don't have those backend systems on lock, or you don't feel like you're as confident as you could be, maybe going with an online marketing channel that is less risky, maybe you don't have to put up money up front, might be a better option, right? So you can work out the kinks in that system as you go. Yeah. I mean, our rule here is we touch them seven times before we even put them into the workflow that will touch them once every two to six weeks in perpetuity, yeah. really. And we never go away until they tell us to go away. And even then we direct mail them quarterly instead. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. And it's just a matter of touching and touching. And the point you made about the 2018 lead and your friend there is you may be talking with someone who is going through a stressful time in 2018 and they're thinking about it and they submit the lead, but they're not ready yet. And whether that's emotionally, financially, or otherwise, and then as time goes on, life changes, things change, the world changes. Mm -hmm. And at that point, 2022 rolls around, they finally go, okay, I'm ready. And the first person they're going to call is the one that's at the top of their mind. And if you've been the person who's been consistently touching base, obviously respectfully, but touching yeah. base and putting yourself in front of them, whether that's an ad or an email or some other channel, you're setting yourself up to succeed. Yeah, I think it comes down to... And I've talked about this before. This is a bit of a recurring theme for me, right? It's that I really think that real estate investing as an industry has profoundly shifted in a way that I don't think a lot of investors have really wrapped their heads around. And I've got it on my bookshelf back there. So it's so Eugene Schwartz wrote Breakthrough Advertising in the late yeah. 50s, right? So it's a right. really classic advertising book. Talks about the different types of markets that there are. And he sort of divides markets by how aware the customer is, right? So for example, if you are in a problem unaware market, that is a market where you're marketing to people who don't even know they have a problem. They're not even aware that they have a problem that they need to solve. And so the question that you answer with your marketing is telling them about the problem that they need to solve, right? And you can go up and down the various levels. Now, investing forever, forever, basically since investing started in the sort of way that we think about it today, where you know, you're buying from motivated sellers, you're sending out postcards and like this version of real estate investing, right? Mm -hmm. It has been dominated by marketing that answers the question, why should you sell to an investor? You think about the classic form of real estate investing, rest of marketing, I would say are yellow letters and bandit signs. Those are the ones that really, really are associated with the industry. And both of those things do the exact same sort of marketing function, which is they say, 
I buy houses and like, here's how I do that, right? I will buy in cash. I will do it quickly. You won't have to do your paperwork. Like all those things are basically descriptions of the business model of the real estate investor. That's all they are. Right. right? right. But we don't live in a world where people are unaware that real estate investors exist anymore. There is literally a cable channel that just shows people flipping houses all day, every day. People know what it is. Yeah. People know what it is. Know enough about it that if you like go on Twitter and you look about people talking about real estate investors, like you will find a lot of them, right? And they're not people in the industry. They're just regular people, right? right? Complaining about investors coming in and property values and blah, 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 blah. Like people get it. And so the fundamental question you need to answer with your marketing is not why do I sell to an investor? The question you need to answer is why do I sell to you? versus any of the other investors who also send me yellow letters. I can't tell you how many kitchens I've walked into when we were flipping houses where I see on the counter half a dozen, a dozen or more postcards, yellow letters or whatever. Yeah. And you know, the first question I ask is, why me? Why'd you pick me? And any number of reasons, but the bottom line, you know, usually it's either I was top of mind or I wasn't a jerk or I treated them with respect or something, but you're absolutely 100% right. Yeah, I think the shift that we all need to make, right, is towards a form of marketing that builds the relationship with the seller before they need you. Correct. And that's, it's difficult as an industry for us to do that, right? It really is. Like we are so used to what we call in marketing, we call bottom of the funnel, which is you're getting in front of the person the minute they need to buy it. Right? I always think about it, it's like it's raining outside and CVS like rolls the thing with the umbrellas out. You know, it's like right. they usually hide it away in the back and they like roll it out. They're like, yeah, that's bottom of the funnel marketing. It's like, oh, you got caught in the rain. I got an umbrella at $6, right? right? That's right at the moment. But I don't think about CVS as like the umbrella store. You need to start building that relationship ahead of time yeah. so that when I am ready to sell, I'm like, oh, of course, I'm going to sell to Ed. Why? Because he put in all that work ahead of time. So one of the reasons that I always bring up blogging, right? And I think blogging or, you know, blogging has been largely sort of supplanted by social media, but any form of social media, you could just view as like some kind of form of blogging. You are putting your thoughts out into the world, your personality into the world, right? You're putting yourself out there. Yep. What that does is just lets people know you are a real person. They start to form a relationship with you before they need you, right? A good example too would be, you have this podcast. I have a podcast. One of the things that we've really noticed is that some of our best clients, in fact, most of our best clients, after they come in and become clients, they say, I've been listening to your podcast for two years, three years, and now it was time. So that's a shift as an industry. I think we really struggle with, but it's one that I think is really critical and is something that the average investor can do that open door, truly a offer pad at all can't do. They literally cannot do that. They cannot form a personal relationship with every single market. It is impossible. Right. That is an advantage that the local investor has that those bigger players can never reproduce. I think you're spot on in that that's the way a human being buys today anyway, right? You go buy a television or you go buy a pickup truck or whatever, you are going to shop the living daylights out of it online. So you don't have to deal with the sales guy in your face. 
right? right? And, you know, so when you walk into Best Buy, you know, you want the 45 inch Samsung or the white F-150 that's in the lot with the tricked out wheels, right? I mean, you know exactly what you want. And then it's just a matter of price. And you've already done your homework there too, because there's yeah. lots of ways to kind of check back and forth. And so by marketing, by creating your perspective in the marketplace and establishing a high level of character and empathy and how you work with people and the process you take them through to make it as easy as possible, all that's accomplished with marketing, all of it. Yeah. You mentioned empathy, and I think that is such a critical element that is very overlooked. And I've told this story before, but I'll tell it here again, where this was the first time I was putting together a coaching program. I also have a coaching program where I teach kind of Google ads management and SEO and stuff to investors, right? So people that don't necessarily want to hire someone or they want to train someone on their team or whatever, right? And I'll do that because I like teaching. I was a teacher. Teaching is something I'm passionate about. So it was the first time I was ever putting together a class. And as a part of that process, I was going to build a website. So I just got like an investor care website. I was just building it out, showing what I would put, right? Yep. And I put a goofy photo of myself from my wedding on it. And it just was sort of goofy, right? I did not have, a, it was not a real business. I was just demonstrating what I would do. Right? right. Now I left it up there for the class, went on, did other things. I started to get leads from the website, oh right? God. So I would get people reaching out to me That's and awesome. I was like, oh yeah. I was like, these people think I'm a real business. So I'm not, so I should, but they still need help. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to find someone else in Connecticut that will take these leads. Like I'll literally just put their email in the form and it'll just email it to them, right? Because I was like, I don't, I don't even need anything from it. It's not a, you know, it wasn't a, a money grab for me. It was just whatever. I want to make sure these yeah, people so you, got to- You connect yeah. them with the right person. That's cool. Exactly. So I just did a Google search for like sell my house fast Connecticut. This is a while ago now, right? So many yeah. years ago, but I went through all the websites and I was maybe- eight websites deep before I found one that told me somebody's name or showed me a face for the person I was going to call. Isn't that amazing? Like, yeah. It was so weird because I'd never thought about it before, but I was like, it's so off-putting. It's really off-putting. Who am I calling? Like, I don't want to call super mega global corp. I want, I want a person. Right. And it just took forever. And it just made me realize like, there's this inclination that investors have that you want to appear professional. And so it's got to be like sleek. It's always like stock photos of people. Like it's always stock people in offices where it's all just windows and like the, the tables are also glass. They're, and you're putting it like smiling a, and pointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. You're like writing on a whiteboard or something that looks like a quadratic equation or something. Right. Like it's just, and I'm like, yes, that looks professional, but it does nothing to alleviate the anxiety of the sellers. Hey, I may let this person in my house. Yeah. With me about buying it. Right. Not to I, mention, I mean, I look and it, you know, people, if you're an investor and maybe, I don't know if this is a necessarily a generational thing, but I know that like basically me, my wife is the same age as me down. Nobody wants to talk to you on the phone. Nope. We nobody wants to talk on the phone. And the idea of getting on a phone call that somehow in my head I can't get off of is just a nightmare. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't know, I could just hang up, but I'm too polite. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so just like even just saying, like, here's what to expect when you call. 
right. really goes a long way, right? So it all comes down to empathy and understanding who's on the other end of that line or the other part of that deal. Right. Absolutely. You had mentioned that your Kindle is a hodgepodge of, of mm. interest and eclectic group of books. I'm curious, what's on your nightstand or on your Kindle these days? How do you take in information? How do you sharpen your saw? Oh, so I am a giant, gigantic note-taking nerd. So when I say that I have like several note-taking blogs that I read, this is not an exaggeration, right? So I have a very particular workflow. If anybody wants to nerd out about this, I use an application that's called Rome Research, which is a sort of bi-directional linking note-taking piece of software. So basically it's a white screen with everything's a bullet point. So you can take a note, it's a bullet point. I you know, hit return, it makes another bullet point. I can indent it, right? But every single bullet point in Rome is its own unique object. And so for example, I wanted to take a note that you and I were going to talk today. Mm -hmm. So there's a page for Ed Matthews and I just type Ed Matthews. I made that a page. Now you are an object now in my database and I took notes under you. Now, if in the future I ever go back to your page, I will see the notes that I took on you sort of automatically connected and anywhere else that I've taken a note about you, it'll show up on your page automatically. Right. So it's fascinating. It's like a very easy way to create a custom Wikipedia sort of thing. Sure. And so what I do is I read almost exclusively on the Kindle now. I, I do love physical books, but I just, I read a lot and I just don't have space and yeah. I don't like moving them and stuff. So I read on Kindle. I highlight a lot. I have my highlights automatically sync to an app called Readwise. Yep. And then from Readwise sync automatically into Rome. So every book that I read, all of my highlights from that book are automatically synced into my sort of personal database. And then I can reference those notes or look them up very quickly. So I have like a whole elaborate system for doing that, which again, if anyone wants to nerd out about this, I'd much rather talk about that than my actual work because I find it very fun. But lately, yeah, my reading has been kind of all over the place. So I very randomly got into reading about psychoanalysis, which I know nothing about, someone was like, oh, hey, you should go back and read Freud. And I realized I had never read anything by Freud in real life. I'd only read about Freud. And so I was like, oh, I'll give Freud a shot. You could buy everything Freud ever wrote for a dollar on Kindle or whatever. It's like 5 million pages of stuff. I'll tell you, man, Sigmund Freud is a charming, charming dude. He is very fun to read. I find it very fascinating. So I've been diving all the way down the sort of Freudian rabbit hole, which is very interesting. And a couple other books I read, I recently have been diving back into, there's a really amazing book called The Master and His Emissary, which is all about sort of the bi-hemispheric division of the brain. So left hemisphere, right hemisphere. And the thesis of the book was this guy who's a neuroscientist, is also kind of a philosopher of the brain. He really hypothesizes that the hemispheres represent profoundly different ways of viewing the world. And that as a culture, we are migrating towards a much more left hemispheric view of the world, which I think he would argue is probably not particularly helpful. So that's been really interesting. And then I just traveled. So, you know, every time I travel, I try to read just something that is pure fun garbage. So I like, you know, I've read all the Jack Reacher books. There was a recent new Jack Reacher book that came out that I was like, I'm going to read that on the plane and read that. So I'm trying to be all over the place. Yeah. Tom Clancy's my guilty pleasure for plane rides. So 
you got to have I, something that's going to get you through the plane ride without looking at your neighbor as much as possible. Right. That's what the AirPods are for, even if they're not on. And, <laughs> uh, and then the books. But yeah, when you're not geeking out on pay-per-click or reading Sigmund Freud books or Jack Reacher, you mentioned travel, but what do you like to do when you're not working? My life right now, I've got, you know, I've got two young ones. I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And we are just kind of getting into the point of our lives where their activities are taking up way more time and they're going in kind of different directions. So we're, oh boy, so I'm about 10 years ahead of you. It only gets better. So I'm like, what do I do? I mean, so I'm a musician in my spare time. In fact, I think at this point, more people probably know me for music than for my work stuff. Although those audiences do not overlap like hardly at all. So we're scheduled to do a short tour there's a big kind of festival in the Netherlands that we got invited to play. So we're going to go play that next year. So getting ready for that. And then I just, in my spare time, you know, if I'm not with the kids or I'm not with my wife, I'm usually either trying to work out. So just working out, getting ready for music stuff, or I'm honestly just learning. Like right now I'm deep diving on Google sheets. I want to be like a Google sheets wizard because there was someone on my team. who I'd always ask about Google sheets questions and, He's gone now. So I'm like, I'm going to be the Google Sheets guy and like really diving into that. And I just, I've never found a time where I just didn't have anything I was interested in. So for me, if I can buy a course on something or a coaching program on something, like that's basically my hobby at this point. Like, I just love it. And I don't, I don't always have to use it. Like, I I don't really believe, you know, people will say like, Oh, you know, it's useless if you don't apply it. I don't, I don't really think that that's true. I think everything that you learn shifts the way you view the world, at least a little bit. It's a tool in the toolbox for when you need it. And most of the things that are good in my life have just been kind of random things I've picked up here or there that just became something more. So I like that kind of jack of all trades existence. I find it pretty fun. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time today. It's as always a pleasure, man. I appreciate your time. If folks want to get a hold of you or learn more about your business, what is the best way to do that? Yep. So you can go to adwordsnerds.com is the website. And we got all sorts of stuff there. The podcast gets posted there. The REI Marketing Nerds podcast, that's the name of the podcast. You can find that anywhere you get your podcasts. And pretty much any social media place that you go to, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, if you just look up AdWords Nerds, you will find us. I was saying earlier, like next year, I put out a lot of content, but next year I'm really going to lean into social media and stuff like that. So it'll be a good place to follow up if you want to learn more. Well, I'm I'm already following you everywhere, so I'm looking forward to the content. Cool, man. uh, Dan Barrett, thank you so much. Uh, it's really good to see you, my friend. And I can't wait to help you buy your first property. Come, to- Oh my God. I'm so excited. I will say, so anybody who's listening to this, right? And you're, look, you're like this Ed guy, right? Is this big, famous guy with this big, famous podcast, right? Very. The minute I said I was interested in real estate investing, I was like, here's some helpful advice. I'll take you for coffee. Like whatever. Like he is the most helpful, genuine person in the world. You are in the right place. You should definitely stick around and learn all you can. And I just want to say thank you, Ed. I appreciate it, man. This was a blast. Likewise. Thanks, Dan. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast, a Clark Street Capital presentation. Thanks for joining us. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to like and share it with your friends. Also, leave a comment if there's a topic you want us to cover. We read every comment. If you'd like to learn more about Clark Street Capital and our upcoming projects, please feel free to reach out to us and join our investor club at clarkst.com join. 
or join the Underground Insights newsletter at clarkst.com newsletter. Until next time, happy investing.